Good morning. My name is Richard Misservi. I serve as associate pastor here at EMC. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it gets worse from here. <laughs> but I do have a question since it's Family Fifth Sunday, and um, we uh, have the children in with us. Question is, if, if Christmas was on Monday, why are we still singing Christmas songs? Are you a child? <laughs> yeah. 12 days of Christmas, thank you. And what, what do we celebrate after Christmas? What? Yeah, not so sure. Well, maybe we'll find out later on. Uh, I should warn you that uh, I have a long, 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 long scripture to read. But the good news is it's a story, so if we break it up into parts, uh, we should be able to, to get through it. Now, I, I, have, to, I have to say... Um, the AV team does a great job of putting the scriptures on the screen, but I did not, I was not real helpful to them. So if they're not there, you may regret that you don't have a Bible to look in. But fortunately, as, as you entered the, the, the worship space, there were guest Bibles there, and we will be on page 304 in those Bibles, and they're, they're yours to keep. So uh, grab one of those if you think you need it. We're in 2 Kings chapter 5. I should, I should mention that our, our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Sean, and his family are away with a few days of rest, although I'm not so sure rest is the right word for travel and visiting with family. But they're away uh, this morning, and they'll be back next week. So let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 5. The king of Aram, or Syria, had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. And this is unusual right away, because in the ancient Near East literature, always told how your God gave you victory. But in this case, Yahweh, the true God, gave victory to the enemy because the people were apostate and under judgment. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible is all kinds of skin infestations, and it's not necessarily Hansen's leprosy, though it can be. But in any case, he has leprosy. And at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. She's essentially booty from a, a conquest. And just as an aside, little people suffer when the leaders of their nation do evil. And that's what happened in, in Israel. So she's exiled separated from her nation, her community, her family, her people, 
every support that she has is taken away from her. But what we'll see is she remains faithful to the Lord. So one day, verse 3, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. Samaria is the capital of the divided kingdom. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, I, I, can't, I can't promise, but I can't deny either, that if I were in her shoes, I'm not so sure the healing of the master would have been uppermost in my mind. I may have been, maybe, just maybe, with more like leprosy? Good. I hope it turns into painful boils and he dies a painful death. But no, she says, I, I wish he was in Samaria where the true God lives and the prophet of God lives and he would be healed from his, his leprosy. It's almost like Jesus Love your enemies. Pray for those who treat you harshly. So she, uh, she asks, and, and notice it, it doesn't even tell us what her name is. So I call her Jane Doe. <laughs> so Jane Doe is in a new situation, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this. First day of school, first day of a new school, Separated from family, gone into high school or college or first job. What do we need to know more than anything else when we go into a situation where all of our supports have been taken away from us? We, know, we need to know who we are and we need to know who our God is. And she does this. She knows that God is, is in Israel and can heal Naaman. So Naaman tells the king what the young girl from Israel said. I mean, how desperate is he? <laughs> he has to go to this uh, captive slave girl for a foreign god. And the king said, go and visit the prophet. I'll send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. It's a lot of stuff. And he goes to the king, and he has a letter to the king of Israel in verse 6. With this letter, I present my sermon Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now, you know it's going to be a bad day when a letter comes from the IRS. But here, this is even worse. Right? They just conquered, and the king sends him a, a, a letter saying, this is, my, uh, this is Naaman, I, I really, uh, he has my favor, and he's got all this stuff, you heal him. And I, I, you know, the original Hebrew says, what? <laughs> There's no way. How could he possibly tell me to heal him? So when, in verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. That is, he wants an opportunity. Because he's, he is astute enough to know that if you have that much money to pay for it, then this really important to the king. 
And the chances are that if you don't fulfill what he wants, then the repercussions will be just as significant. And that's why he tears his clothes in dismay. It's got to be 50 years old now, but when I was young, there was a real famous movie, The Godfather. And he acted just like this, right? When he wanted to get somebody to do something that they didn't want to do, he said, what did he say? I'll make him an offer he can't refuse, right? And that's what the king is doing here. I want this man healed, and you will heal him. And, uh, and if you don't, then the repercussions will be severe. Now note, this king doesn't have a name either. Because frankly, it doesn't matter which king it is. Every king of Israel was evil. The, uh, in the southern, the southern tribes of Judah, you had some good kings, some bad. But in the northern tribes, Israel, all bad. So he is just doing what kings of Israel do. So uh, let me ask you this. I think the king is asking me. What is my first thought when I face a crisis? Where do I look for help when I have a need? Where does this king look? Not to God, not to the prophet. He doesn't act like Hezekiah, go, call for the prophet Isaiah. He doesn't go to the, to the temple to, uh, to ask God to intervene. He just tears his clothes in dismay. In verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message, message to him, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a prophet in Israel. He will learn that there is a God in Israel that can heal. He will learn that there is a man of God that can speak the word of God in order to accomplish the will of God if he'll put his trust in him. And this is, this is the essence of the, of the ministry of the prophet, to speak the word of God in the situation that he finds himself in. So here you have Naaman will know that there's a true God and the king of Israel won't because he doesn't even hear. So verse 9 and 10. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. I'm trying to, trying to picture this. He shows up at the prophet's house with his whole entourage of servants and soldiers and uh, car uh, wagons carrying all kinds of stuff. There's, there's gold, there's silver, there's clothes. All this stuff is waiting outside. And Elisha, the prophet, doesn't even come out to see him. He just stays in the house. I mean, that's insulting. <laughs> this is a man. This is, a, this is the man. This is next to the king. This is the one with the, with the victorious king's favor. I'm somebody. I, I can imagine his thoughts saying, do you know who I am? 
Maybe you've had a boss like that, <laughs> where it's, when something didn't go his or her way, do you know who I am and what I can do to you if you don't do what I want you to do? But he doesn't even get up. He just sends a servant, tell him, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed, you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. So Naaman in verse 9, he, he has to learn if you want a blessing from God, then you can expect him to break your pride. This is somebody that has it all. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got prestige, he's got status, and God doesn't care for any of that. God, and neither does the man of God, the prophet of God, does not care for any of that. If God is going to do something for Naaman, it is going to be by grace. It is going to be because God wants to heal him. And this is the first lesson to learn, to receive from God. And the second is, it may be insulting. So here's the insult. Go wash yourself in the Jordan River. This is foolish. Uh, how is this? It's not a problem of hygiene. This is a, a disease. And yet, that's what he's told to do. So in verse 11, Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of Yahweh his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in a rage. How many of you have learned that God doesn't seem to be obligated to meet your expectations? Do you hear what he says? I expected that the prophet would come out, he would wave his hands and do some hocus pocus, and he would control the situation, and he would send me away healed, and I would give him all the loot that I brought with him. But instead, he doesn't even bother to come out, and he tells me to do this stupid thing, go to the River of Jordan. And who cares about the River of Jordan anyway? This muddy creek. I mean, I have rivers in Damascus with snow melt from Mount Hermon. I mean, we have real rivers in Damascus, not this cheap imitation. And frankly, he's a cheap imitation God. He's small time. He couldn't even prevent me from, from conquering his people. And you expect me then to go wash because you said so. I, I can see why he would be mad. I'm not impressed with the prophet. I'm not impressed with the command. I'm not impressed with the God. I'm not impressed with the river. I'm just not impressed. But if God is going to do something, it's not going to be based on your resources. It's going to be based on grace. It's going to be based on what he wants to do. So in verse 13, his officers 
tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you do it? So you certainly should obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So again, this is the big man. And his servant girl tells him, you should go to Samaria, find the prophet to be healed. I don't want, he's not doing it the way I want. And then his nameless servants say, hey, why don't you just take him at his word and go and, and wash? So in verse 14, to his credit, Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. That is, he acted in accordance with the word of the prophet of God. He acted in accordance of the word of the prophet of God. He had to have his arm twisted to do it. How desperate he is, and he's willing to even listen to these servants of his, but he acted in accordance with the, with the word of the prophet of God. And these, this sets the stage for the miracle. Humbled his pride. Defeated his expectations. Dismissed his resources. And had him act in accordance with the word of God with the word of God. And he, he follows these nameless servants. And now, again, I, I think how many times have you heard of someone comes to faith at a Billy Graham crusade and, you know, how marvelous it is and how many come and hundreds come and, they, and he, he gives the invitation. They all come down and he, he gets his name in lights. But we don't know the name of the person that invited that person. Right? We, we hear of the, the great evangelist or the, the, the teacher or the pastor, but we don't hear of the Sunday school teacher that taught that young man or woman early in, in their life. They're nameless, but they're not nameless to God. He sees the one that, uh, that ministers in his name and brings this, brings this healing. So we think, we're, we think we're insignificant sometimes, but we're not. And the faithfulness to God and seeing his wisdom is enough for this man to receive healing as he acts according to the word of God. So in verse 14, Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him, and his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. He was healed. Now, this, this, I'm reading from the, uh, the, the, the new NLT, what is it? The new, the new Living Translation. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to remember how many days of Christmas it is. there is. If only there was a song that could help me to remember. So he goes down in the, 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 the NLT says, he, his skin became healthy. But literally, it is, was restored. And this is important. I'll hold on to that. We will, we will come back to it. But here he is. He acted according to the word of God, and then God healed him. So in verse 15, Naaman 
and his entire party went back to find the man of God. Well, I bet. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now I know. That's what, isn't that what the prophet said? Send Naaman to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. There's a God in Israel, a God that can heal. And now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. He's not the boss anymore, is he? He's the servant giving his blessing back to the one that blessed him. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. And then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I'll take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God except Yahweh. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing when my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow to. And Elisha said to him, peace. Go in peace. So here's this proud man, broken pride, expectations dashed, uh, all his resources worth nothing, but he has obtained the peace of God. He's reconciled to God. There, he came looking for a physical healing, and he found the true God. That's the, the miracle of God's grace, is that he doesn't just heal because he's kind and compassionate. He heals because he reveals his character of who he is. And he draws this person to true faith when he sees the work of God and the power of God. This, this is what every miracle is for, is to reveal the character of God that we could put our faith in him. And he does it by grace. Grace, grace, alone. Now that is a fabulous ending to the story. And wouldn't you be happy if it was a fabulous ending to the sermon? <laughs> you should not laugh that much. <laughs> but it's not the end of the story. So in verse 20, we find that whereas for Naaman it ends in grace and peace, there's another man and it ends in judgment. In verse 20, but Gehazi, or some say Gehazi, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said to himself, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any gifts. As surely as the Lord lives. <laughs> Same thing that Elisha said. As surely as the Lord lives, this man will know that there's a true God in Israel. And Gehazi says, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set up after Naaman. And when Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot, went to meet him. Is everything all right? 
Naaman asked, yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take two bags. And, and he sent two of his servants that they could carry and two sets of clothing and he tied up the money in two bags and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. And he went and hid the gifts inside the house. And when he went into his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. Now, it's family fifth Sunday, so I have to ask. Can you picture the face of Gehazi? I, I haven't been anywhere. Now, let me ask you this. You got caught doing something you shouldn't have done, and you tell your mom and dad, well, I, I don't know, I don't know how it got broken. Do you think they really believe you? Let me, moms, do you believe, do you know the face that I'm talking about, and do you believe it or do you see? Well, here it's even worse. Because even we, can, we might fool mom and dad sometimes, but we're not going to fool, fool the prophet of God. Because God knows and he sees and he reveals the truth because he's the God of truth. And the truth comes out. Sometimes it comes out right away like this man. Sometimes it takes years. But the truth always comes out. God reveals it uh, in his time. So he said, I, I haven't been anywhere, he replied in verse 26. And Elijah asked him, but don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothes, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. That here, the very disease that Naaman had, now Gehazi has. I heard, a, heard somebody on the radio, and he, they were talking about, a, somebody had posted something on TikTok. And I don't have TikTok, so I couldn't verify, but I'm sure he wouldn't lie. I mean, I heard it on the radio. <laughs> and so somebody posted something on TikTok that someone offered them $200,000 for their dog. Well, of course, this bought a, a barrage of responses. And, and I, I, actually, I'm a little nervous to bring this up. This is, this is what's known in the preaching profession as an unforced error. If you stop, start stepping on the toes of dog lovers, you can expect nothing but, but hurt. But, but anyway, so there just, there's all this barrage, and uh, you know, it, it went all the way from, well, if you sold that dog, you're, you're worse than a demon in hell, to why not? <laughs> Buy another dog. It's no, it's no problem. And uh, one wag said, ah, I love my dog. I sure will miss her. <laughs> no, I know, don't laugh, don't laugh. And uh, another, another one said, 
No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sell my dog. I've had dogs that I would pay you to take, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell this one. The point, the point here is that a woman is offered a lot of money for a dog, and she has to decide which is more valuable. Right? Which is more valuable to make this decision? And it's not always a choice that we're faced with good and evil. It's a, fa it's a choice of better and worse. It's a choice of good or better or best. And the value here, Gehazi makes a value estimate that the money from Naaman is worth more to him than the relationship he has with the God of Israel through the prophet. He sees the work of God, the miracles of God through Elisha. He hears the word of God, but that's not enough for him. He wants the money to enlarge his wardrobe and increase his bank account is worth more to him than the word of God through the prophet. Now, this is a frightening thing. The, and be aware. So he has an object of desire and he has the opportunity to get it. But those aren't sin. The sin is in the corruption of his heart. And this just reveals that sin to him. When he succumbs to this temptation, and who knows, he may have been greedy all along, and it may have been immediate, but in any case, it reveals the corruption of his heart. I read of Malcolm Muggeridge, a longtime journalist, and he was in India, and I think his wife was back in the UK, and he, he went down to the river to swim and he saw a woman across the, the, the river and he uh, had a desire for her and decided that the scripture was true, that stolen waters are sweet. So he swims across the river to reach her and when he gets there, he finds out she's not the beautiful woman he thought, but old and haggard toothless, and a leper. And he's so repulsed that he goes back. But what he realized was it was his own heart that was repulsive. It was the corruption of the desire apart from what God wants that was corrupt and repulsive. And here at Gehazi, it's not just the money, it's the heart of, of what he desires more than anything else. And this begins to give a hint of who his God really is. Who is my God is seen in the choices I make and the values that I put in them. And he decided that the good life involved clothes and money more than the word of God. So what do I value? If the, if the servant girl in the beginning asked me, who am I in a strange location? And Naaman asked me, uh, are you humble enough to receive from the, from the grace of God? Then Gehazi has to ask me, who, what do you value in life? What, do you, what really counts for you? And how do you make your 
decisions. And to me, what's so sad is he was the servant of Elisha. He associates with the prophet of God, sees his works, hears his word. And that was not important enough. It's a danger for us when we grow up in a church that we hear the preaching of God on a regular basis and it becomes so familiar that it's not important to us anymore and we don't care. We lose that sense of the privilege that we have to come and hear from his word preached. I, I think of Judah, Judas, the one that sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver, he fellowshiped with Jesus. He heard his teaching. He saw his miracles. But it wasn't enough. That's the danger of being associated with the people of God and the word of God and the teaching of God that we lose its value for us and something else seems more important. That questions, what would I, what would I sell integrity in the Word of God for? I, Pastor Myron, they told me one time they had done a study of, of pastors that had fallen into sin. And, and one of the things they all had in common was they stole postage stamps from the church. And you see, you know, this is a small thing, but it, it wasn't a small thing. It's, it's a heart of integrity before God. And if I can sell that, then I can sell the word of God in everything else as well. And that's what Gehazi does. And the judgment upon him is leprosy forever. And I have to ask, a couple. this raises a couple questions for me. First of all, why so harsh? You're so gracious to Naaman, the one that had victory over your people. Why so harsh? And I think uh, Ralph Davis has hits the nail on the head. The, the, the structure of this text, it begins with judgment, right? The the servant girl is taken captive because of the judgment of God on an apostate nation. She's faithful, but the nation is not. And there's judgment upon. And now it ends with judgment of God on Gehazi. Again, corrupt. As the nation was corrupt, he was corrupt. But in the middle, the crown jewel is the revelation of the grace of God. The grace of God to the unclean, to the, to, to the foreigner, to the, to the broken. And this revelation of the grace of God is exactly what Gehazi is besmirching. He is diminishing the character of God by taking money. The grace of God cannot be bought cannot be earned, cannot be sold. And yet here he is taking the money in, in exchange for the, the grace of God. We see the same thing in the New Testament where Simon said, give me this power, I'll give you money in order to dispense the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And 
So he contaminates, he pollutes the image of God. And that's why his body now reveals the corruption that was in his heart and the corruption that he tried to do to the character of God. But why even have it in the Bible? Why, why have this story here? I mean, is it just show that the uh, prophet is powerful or here's some moral principles for us to follow? No, I, I think it goes beyond that. The book of Kings is a book of theology. And it is written at a time when not just one little part of Israel is in exile, but the entire nation. The northern tribes went into exile to Assyria. 150 years later, the southern tribes went into exile in Babylon. And the judgment of God fell upon that nation because they were apostate and they were corrupt and they sold the word of God and the covenant of God for the things, the idols of their age. That's why the story is here because it reveals who they are in exile. And it reminds them that the theology is the theology of Deuteronomy, where God promised his covenant people that if you are faithful to the covenant, these are the blessings that I will pour out upon you. Rain, fertility, safety, prosperity, abundance, all of these blessings I'll pour out upon you. But if you turn away from the true God, these are the curses that I will put upon you blight and drought and famine and and eventually you will go into into exile you'll be scattered just like the other nations they worship false gods if you worship false gods then you will be treated just like gentiles and they end up in babylon in an unclean land as unclean people and the word of God comes to them to say, if God is true to his word and he fulfills every threat of punishment he gives, then you can also trust him that his word of promise to restore is, available, is going to take place as well. And the book of Deuteronomy says, and when you remember these things, you're scattered in Babylon, you're scattered away from the promised land. When you remember these things and you turn back to me, I will turn your captivity back. I will restore your captivity. I will restore your place in the covenant of God. And that word restore is the word that the NLT translated as your skin was made healthy. But it wasn't just healthy. It was restored. It was the revelation of the grace of God to come to a fallen, broken people to restore them when they turn back to him. And that is the promise that they're given in this book. And Isaiah, we've read it before uh, uh, Pastor Jeff read that there was a day coming of glorious blessing of God. That's the promise of God that he gave. And we celebrate that at this time of year. 
that the fulfillment wasn't just restoring them from Babylonian captivity, but it was the coming of a greater king than this king of Israel, a greater prophet than even Elijah, a greater servant than the maid that gave uh, advice to Naaman, that this is the coming one that comes to bring salvation to his people and to the world. Now, we celebrate 12 days of Christmas, and after that comes what? Epiphany, thank you. I thought a youngster would say it, but it, <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Epiphany means the manifestation. In, it, in, the, in the Western church, it's the, it's the commemoration of the coming of the Magi to worship Christ. Remember, they came. They, we've seen his star in the earth. Where is the one born king of the Jews? Where is the greater king that has been born? We have brought gold and things just, just like Naaman, only we're not coming to buy things. We're not coming to earn things. We're not coming to command things. We've come to worship him. It's the revelation of God to Gentiles, just as to Naaman, this Gentile from outside of Israel. The greater king comes. But in the Eastern Church, the emphasis of Epiphany wasn't the Magi coming. It was the baptism of Jesus. It was when God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one that the Spirit of God fell upon that we read, upon, uh, read about in Isaiah. This is the one that is baptized in the Jordan River. Now what's unusual though is John said this is a baptism of repentance. It's a calling for people that are corrupt to come and turn to God and be washed clean. But this one has no sin to be cleansed from. He has no, nothing to repent of. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Why is he baptized? Because he identifies with us. He identifies with the unclean and provides for them cleansing, washing. Our child scripture reading uh, today was such for some of you, corrupt like Naaman, corrupt like uh, 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 Gehazi, corrupt like the king of Israel. Such were some of you, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And that water signifies a deeper cleansing than even baptism. I'm reminded of John when he recounts the, the Lord uh, hanging on the cross, dead, and the Romans stuck a spear in his side and out poured what? Blood and water. The cleansing of God is not just water. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses from all ungodliness and all sin. There's a fountain that will 
be open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And we might think that, well, this is foolish. This is silly. It's a foolish command to put our faith in someone that died 2,000 years ago. But it's no more foolish than to dip in the Jordan River seven times. This is the one that brings salvation through his blood to wash and cleanse. And if, if God were to offer me fellowship with him, reconciliation with him, and peace like he did to Naaman, would I accept it just by uh, following in the word that he has, he has given? Would I give him true worship the way Naaman did? Or would I sell his offer? for the pleasure, the material things, or the things that I want in this world? That's, that's the question that, uh, that kings ask us. That's the question that Jesus asks. This is the one that does not, that does not receive gold, but he was rich and he became poor for our sakes that we might be rich. In him. This is not the king that tears his robe, but in fact has his robes torn off from him and his body torn for us. This is not just a prophet, but this is the word of God made flesh in order that we might learn the truth and the grace of God. Pastor Jeff, would you come and help us? There's an old, there's an old hymn that I, I, won't, I won't quote it, but the cleansing stream I see, I see. I plunge and oh, it cleanses me. Oh, praise the Lord, it cleanses me. It cleanses me, it cleanses me. That there is an offer for us to come. We may be Gehazi, we may be Naaman, we may be one of the sins that Paul talks about in Corinthians. And the invitation is for us to come and receive his, his grace.